Thanks for listening to the Lynx Golf Podcast. For more of the best of golf, follow at Lynx Magazine on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Visit our website at www.linksmagazine.com to read our latest stories and also to subscribe to Lynx Magazine. And become an insider by signing up for our free Lynx Insider email newsletter delivered each week to your inbox. Lynx, the best of golf. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. My name is Al Lunsford, digital editor at Lynx, and joining me once again is George Pepper, our editor. George, how you doing? Great. Ready to go. All right. Today, we are going to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, our 2019 fall issue of Lynx, which just came out around October, September, October of 2019, and um, features a lovely golf hole on the cover, which many people probably won't recognize because it's from a course in Iceland, uh, which George had the pleasure of, of visiting. When did you go there? Uh, back in May. Okay. And George wrote a fascinating piece on, on golf in Iceland, and, and we'll detail that here. We're actually just going to talk about uh, what George wrote. And the first piece that we're going to discuss is a very interesting social network that has kind of come to light to help people play the courses of their dreams, essentially. So, George, if you want to just introduce what that piece was about and, and your experience, and you sure. became a, uh, a user for a little bit of the of the platform, but it's called Thousand Greens. I'll let George right. describe it. I heard about this through a college buddy early in the year. He said, have you heard of this thing, Thousand Greens? He said, your readers at Lynx might uh, like hearing about this. I hadn't. He said, well, check it out. Here's my friend's name. He uh, started it. And the guy's name is Manish Gold, G-O-E-L. And uh, he's a 53-year-old uh, who retired after a successful career in Silicon Valley, made a bunch of money, and decided he was going to live a good life. And like a lot of retirees, he said, I'm going to play a lot of golf courses. Until he realized that most of the, those golf courses weren't as anxious to see him as he was to see them. It was a little tough getting on at least the marquee courses of the world. And so then he brought his kind of his Silicon Valley uh, chops to bear. And he came up with a really terrific idea called Thousand Greens. And as you say, it's a social network for like-minded uh, golfers, members of private clubs who want to get access to other private clubs. And uh, this has been tried before, um, but never in this way, which is to say free. You can go online at www.thousandgreens.com, sign in, no cost at all, and you're part of the game. It is based on kind of a four-tier system. You have to be a member of a private club. That's the first level. Of the, the second level is you're a member of a private club that is one of the best in your state. The third level is that club is one of the top 100 clubs in America. And the fourth, the club is one of the top 100 in the world. Now, if you remember the fourth tier, you can request to play at any private club in the world. Uh, if you remember the top 100 in the U.S., you can request playing at any U.S. course and so far. And, and uh, to date, he's only been in operation about a year. I think he has probably now six or 7,000 members uh, signed up. And I would say probably a quarter of those are members of these top 100 clubs in the world. Now, he's hastens to add, well, okay, I don't have maybe Augusta National or Cypress Point. There will always be a dozen or so 
super exclusive clubs we're never going to have, but he has just about everyone else. And the way it works is you go on the site and let's say you want to play Shinnecock Hills. There's a map of the courses and uh, in, in the map you will see little pins indicating whether that there are members of Thousand Greens who are members of that club. And so you ping on Shinnecock Hills and maybe it pops up and says there are four or five members there. And instantly, well, you tell, first of all, you put in the dates you want to play. And instantly a, uh, an email goes out to those five members. And they open it up and they don't know who you are. They know that you are of a certain age, age group, um, a certain pace of play and a certain attitude toward the game. It could be competitive or relaxed, easygoing. And that's it. And and the date you want to play. And then it's up to these members of the club to either accept or decline your um, request to play. If they accept, then you and the member find out who each other is, uh, agree on the details. And of course you pay all the relevant fees and uh, the uh, thousand screens people, Manish suggests, you know, as a courtesy, you offer to pay for the other guy's caddy fee if there is such a thing, or maybe give them a little gift. It's, there are certain niceties that they encourage the uh, members of thousand greens to observe. Sure. And that's the way it works. It's, um, and yes, I did. As part of the research for this, uh, I joined. And since uh, Yemen's Hall, I'm fortunate to be a member here, is a top 100 in America club. They see, and I'm not the only member here who's a member of Thousand Greens, but um, whenever someone wants to play, I get one of these emails pinged at me. And I get at least one a week uh, request to play. Now, I'm not here all the time, so I'm not able to accept them all. But uh, that's the way it works. And uh, yeah, I've heard a bunch of people since the article first came out saying, gee, I joined this. It's terrific. So it's, yeah. it's a great idea, who maybe whose time is coming. And as I say, it costs nothing. But um, I think his goal is to get it up to about 10,000 members and then maybe start building tournaments for members at, at the various clubs and uh, maybe even make some money on it. But that has never been his intent. It's just to make golf, uh, broaden the, uh, the the places to play for for a lot of golfers. Yeah, I think that's an interesting aspect of it to begin with. It's not like he was trying to create a new business for himself. He really was just trying to connect people who love golf to, to the courses of their wildest dreams that they want to be able to play someday. Right. And, you know, make friends. And that's part of what golf is about, you know, sharing experience with other people. And it's no pressure, which is, I like the fact that both the uh, requester and the recipient stay anonymous until they agree on a date. So you make a profile, essentially, when you start and become a member of Thousand Greens, you have your own, just like you would any other social media platform you have like a a bio and like Mm. you said are you a very serious golfer are you just a leisurely just enjoy you know right being out on the course and you tell them your handicap and as i say your age and interestingly in terms of the age i was and he was surprised as well that most of the members are under 50 there's like a quarter of them between 35 and 50 which you would think for members of these pretty high level clubs yeah be a bit bit low but he said you know this is the way this generation reacts right people react they think nothing of contacting each other digitally i mean for me if, if if i was a member of a private club and 
it would seem like the easiest way to to get onto you know i've never played winged foot but if i wanted to and i had that kind of resource you know why not yeah and it's and free. They, he he offers the opportunity to write a little groveling email saying you know i ever since i was in the womb i've wanted to play wing <laughs> west <laughs> you know my grandfather was a member but he died in the war that type of, you, now you can the, the idea is to everybody to be as uh, really as sincere and open about it as possible It'll be interesting to see where it goes and if it gains a lot of popularity. Well, it's a limited universe. But to date, I think he said he had over 2,000 members of the top 100 clubs in the world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. How did you first hear about it? I said it was a college buddy who just kind of sent me an email. Um, This used to work for him uh, in the Silicon Valley. And he said, this guy's really bright, uh, and I think he can can make it work. And I heard from uh, Manish not too long ago, uh, maybe a couple of weeks after the magazine appeared, and he said, wow, you guys did us some good. We're up to X number of thousand now, and we're getting, you know, a dozen members every day. So well, that's great. I encourage readers and listeners to check it out. Yeah, so thousandgreens.com. Right. Check it out. All right, moving on, we're going to talk about George's trip to Iceland, which George has some history with with Iceland, it sounds like. He had a bone to pick initially, but uh, they have some pretty good golf, so there was a plus side to getting to go initially. If you remember, uh, back about 10 years ago, there was a volcano with an unpronounceable name and, and had about... 18 letters in its name that erupted and it wrought havoc with uh, air travel in uh, Europe and Great Britain. And at the time, Libby and I were living in St. Andrews and we had scheduled a long, uh, looked forward to vacation with our two sons who were back in the U.S. to go to South Africa on a safari. And luck at it, that trip fell on the same week that this volcano erupted. So the boys made it fine. They flew out of New York and made it to Johannesburg. And they had a lovely uh, four or five days by themselves as uh, Libby and I sat there watching the news every day. Sorry, still no flights out of London, no flights out of Edinburgh. And at, at the last minute, just the last possible day, we could have legitimately gone it cleared up and they still were not flying out of edinburgh so we got in a car and drove eight hours down to london and got a flight to johannesburg and we actually surprised the boys down there and caught them for the last six seven days of the uh, trip and then we tacked on a couple days on our own so i would i wanted to go uh pay my disrespects to this volcano (laughs) and uh on top of that as a lot of people heard the Iceland has become a very hot tourist destination. I think due in large part to the HBO hit series Game of Thrones. And yes. I was in the car with Libby. I didn't know this when we were over there. I said, you know, they could have filmed Game of Thrones here. And she gives me this you idiot look and she says, they did film Game of Thrones here. In fact, <laughs> <Famously>. 16 different <laughs> uh, locations. Yeah, I didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, you know, we, we blasted through Game of Thrones in two months. I think there's 75 episodes. And oh. We watched two episodes. So it's a day for wow. So I didn't get any of the hype. We just enjoyed the show. But yeah, that's really in the last decade, tourism to Iceland has literally doubled from a half million to a million people a year. 
And uh, that may not sound like a lot, but for a small country, it's, it is. The lovely thing is it's very convenient to the U.S. We flew out of Boston and made it to Reykjavik in about four hours. Oh, it wow. It is the closest European country to the U.S. And um, it's, as I say, very, very navigable. Now, the, the other aspect, of course, is the golf. And I'm not going to claim that Iceland has more great golf courses than any country in Europe, but they do have some good ones. There are only 65 uh, golf courses in Iceland and only 15 18-hole courses. Now, okay. uh, having said that, there about half of those are really, number one, really good and set on the most spectacular terrain uh, you can imagine. Now, the other good part is that since it is so remote, the uh, golfers per hole ratio in Iceland is literally the lowest in the world. There are something like, I think it's 470 golfers per hole in Iceland. And just to put that in context, um, I think uh, Scotland's about 570, America's about 1,200, and uh, China, if you choose to go there, is 170,000 people per hole. Now, not that uh, they're all playing golf, but uh, right. the good news is that if you get to Iceland, getting on the courses and getting around them is a piece of cake. Yeah, most of them are, like most of the residents, within an hour of the capital city of Reykjavik. And uh, that's where we found, um, we played uh, six golf courses and five of them were uh, there. And I, I would mention three of them uh, prominently. The first is the uh, subject of the uh, cover photo. It's called uh, Browderholt. And uh, oddly, it's a 12-hole golf course. There aren't too many 12-hole courses in the world. The only other one I can think of is Shiskin in, in Scotland. And Shiskin is a spectacular course, but um, this course, Browderholt, makes Shiskin look like a cow pasture. It is wow. jaw-droppingly um, beautiful. I mean, the first hole is the uh, photo on the cover. And... Uh, it's a kind of a double dogleg par five played from an elevated tee that goes to a, a gangplank of a green set between a hill and the ocean. And it is it's just unbelievable. The, the, I think the architect, a young fellow from Reykjavik, of course, is only 15 years old, something like that. He had a good sense not to try to cram uh, 18 holes into what is suitable for fewer yeah and they hope to gain some more property it won't be as spectacular as what they have but every one of these holes is just amazing and it, what's uh, two things struck me when we were there the whole the golf course was being mowed by a robot one of those little like uh what do they call those things? The, 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 like the, a Roomba? Yeah, like the, exactly the vacuum yeah, that's just yeah, yeah. roaming like about by golf itself? Courses, and they had been experimenting with that. And I kind of laughed at it when we walked to the first team. And then I saw, you know, it makes a lot of sense, rather than asking a greenkeeper to go out in a heavy wind on this, as I say, gangplank of a, of a golf course, <laughs> the robots are a little safer. But And the other thing that, uh, and this is amazing throughout um, Iceland, they have a very short season. I'm going to say it's probably late April through late September, early October. But 
during that time or much of that time you can play for 24 hours because it's so far north and uh, in fact uh, courses like Browderhout and the other ones near Reykjavik have deals with the hotels where, where they will come and pick you up after dinner the yeah. most crowded tea times are between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. So you can have dinner and then go out and play 18 holes, and they'll they'll bring you out there, and uh, th- they'll bring you home in the morning sometime when, you, when you're done with the, uh, with the game. So we didn't do that, and I sort of regret that we didn't. But What was the latest that you played? Uh, you know, we played in the mornings. So okay. uh, you know, you know, we're old people, my wife and I. You know, <laughs> I'm going to bed at 8 o'clock, not teeing off, okay? Sure. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I wish we had because it it, it really looked like a, a cool thing to do and uh, it was maybe clever. They in your article at the very beginning it talks about how someone you said I'd like to make a reservation. Uh, well, this happened. Yeah, we arrived <laughs> at seven uh, p.m. Yeah, yeah. we arrived at seven p.m. and I said the name is Pepper. We had a, a reservation for two, and the guy legitimately said to me, "Was that for dinner or golf?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that will ever be a rejoinder I get again but uh, yeah there was a little golf course out the back and that's pretty routine so uh, that Browderholt was one of them the other one was called uh, Westmanire which is down oh uh, probably a two hour drive uh, from uh, Reykjavik and you get on a ferry and it's on this tiny little island and interestingly that began as a nine hole course back in 1928 and they were about it was like 50 years later, they were about to extend it to 18 holes when a volcano erupted. And it erupted big time, and it kept erupting for five months. Jeez. There are 4,500 residents on this little island, and they all had to evacuate for the per- period of the time the thing was erupting. And it was, I mean, when they got back, the entire island was under a coat of volcanic ash. So it took them years, literally years, to get back to doing anything, including golf, it was four years before the golf course opened and another 10 before it was made into an 18-hole course. But again, it's gorgeous if you can imagine playing at the foot of this extinct volcano. It uh, And every one hole after another is scenery, it's a jaw-dropping scenery. The 17th hole is probably the one I remember most because it's about 145 yards over the crashing surf from one little volcanic pod to another. And I got there and I'm, I said, oh my God, this is a hard shot. And just as <laughs> we arrived, a group of tourists wanders by. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't need 20 Perfect. people gawking at me as I attempt <laughs> to make this shot. Well, I needn't have worried. They were not there to see me or golf in, in any way. They were bird birders. And, and it turns out that uh, this little island is the world's most uh, heavy concentration of puffins. And they, so as I was um, sclaffing my shot into the water, uh, these people were looking upward at the birds, so that wasn't a problem. But yeah, that that's another one, Westman Iyer Golf Club. And the last one uh, is called, I never did figure out how to pronounce, K-E-I-L-I-R. It's, it's either Kaler, Keeler, or Kyler. And it, it's uh, fairly near the airport. It's, it was 10 minutes from our hotel in uh, Reykjavik. And it's sort of a Jekyll and Hyde uh, course. If you can m- imagine any of the listeners who have been to Hawaii, there are a lot of 
volcanic based courses there. Yeah. Some of them are really tight, none tighter than this. And we played it in about a 40 mile an hour wind. Uh, the first nine is exactly that. You're just threading through these craggy, uh, volcanic, uh, remains. And, uh, as good a test as I can imagine anywhere. And it was pretty cold that day. I will be honest. Most of the trip we, we were there, it was in the fifties, low 50s to low 60s but with the wind this was pretty brutal and my wife bagged the last uh, nine and I went on and I'm glad I did because they say it's a Jekyll Hyde course the second nine you leave the it it rises up onto a plateau you leave the uh, lava behind completely and you play this gorgeous kind of clifftop course that is was reminiscent of in parts of pebble beach now that that's a little bit of a okay uh, breathless uh, comparison but the views were wonderful there's a harbor there and you know kind of infinity greens and uh, a beautiful cape hole that played around the harbor um i was blown away by uh, keeler kyler keeler and uh if I'm probably not going to go back to, to Iceland just to play golf, but, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of, like, Iceland Air and others that stop in Reykjavik on the way to Europe and Great Britain, and uh, he wouldn't be averse to scheduling, uh, you know, go to stop at Reykjavik, take a few hours off, and you can get on off this golf course from the airport in probably four and a half hours. Yeah. And then going on so it's worth going back but there there's a lot to iceland worth going back for yeah i mean the pictures just look almost not even real like out of a video game or, or something or like game that of thrones. Yeah. or a game of thrones yeah. yes exactly yeah. the uh keeler or kyler that you mentioned that reminds me a lot of i played wailea in hawaii right um those just lava rocks jutting out so exactly it's, looks yeah. very similar to that um, yeah. You may have also heard the grandfather clock in the background a few minutes ago um, here at Yeaman's Hall. All um, part of the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, you know, just part of the environment we're in right now. But uh, yeah, George, um, I was very entertained by a section that was not in the, the copy that when you go to linksmagazine.com, you'll, you can read George's story on Iceland. It, did include this this section called Icelandic Imponderables that George included, which aren't really about golf at all, but I found pretty fascinating. So I wanted George to walk the listeners through these imponderables, um, and I'm sure you'll get a kick out of it. Well, you have to remember, Iceland is out there. It's up there, way north. It's separate from the rest of Europe, and these people have been hanging out together for centuries, and uh, they're quirky. They, they kind of do their own thing, and uh, as I say, there's some imponderables, things that just cannot be explained through any normal uh, process of logic. So <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll tick them off. Uh, one, a beer was Ill- illegal in, uh, in Iceland until 1989. Shame. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, Icelanders still speak the language of the Vikings, and they have a host of vowels that are only their own and a penchant for lengthy words, the longest word being 64 letters, if you can imagine that. Um, can you say that word for us? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Nor can I spell it. <laughs> it, it, it means a, a locked safe in a, a barn by a meadow or something like that. Yeah, it's not yes, a commonly very, used word. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, Reykjavik is the home of the world's largest and likely only a phallological museum. 
Uh, that means with 280 species of penis from 93 different mammals. Okay. Please, no follow-up questions on that one. Uh, there are strict rules prevail on what Icelanders may name their uh, babies, uh, this to preserve the purity of the Icelandic language. So all new names must go before the Icelandic Naming Committee. There actually is such a thing. First names. All first names. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there's something with the last names, too, where there was a, a girl on the LPGA, Olafia, Kristen's daughter, and she was, there's Kristen's son and Kristen's daughter based right. on yeah, well, there's girl a, or boy. A lot of the uh, Icelandic names end in uh, D-O-T-T-I-R. Yes. And that means daughter. Sven's daughter, Lavren's daughter. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola consumption per capita is the highest in the world. Go figure. All right. Uh, according to a recent national survey, more than 50 percent of the citizens believe in the existence of elves and trolls. I mean, who's to say? I've never been to Iceland. Uh, these people <laughs> don't get out much, so, you know, but you, you know, there is the, the internet. They, they can learn stuff. Sure, or maybe uh, they're only in Iceland. Yes, well, they would that. be. I would, well, I don't... You, hmm. Yeah, they're not coming in on the flights, I don't think. All right. Uh, in 2010, a comedian was elected mayor of Reykjavik and served for four years. One of his campaign promises was not to fulfill any of his campaign promises. <laughs> I thought that was incredible. <laughs> so, I mean. It's it's wild. And, you know, the other thing is the the country, a lot of it is based on these geothermal springs. And the number one tourist attraction in the, com- the country is something called the Blue Lagoon. And this I would recommend to anybody, uh, who, particularly someone who flies in. It's only 15 minutes from the airport. And it is just this huge uh, natural swimming pool in a milky blue color that is um, heated by these geothermal springs. And the uh, temperature is always about 100 degrees. And um, so everybody goes there and it, it, you, it's like 60 bucks but you can spend the whole day you can hang out there are lovely chaises and for your 60 bucks you get a free drink and a, a silicon mud pack as well so uh libby and i did that and we, we really enjoyed it and then we went off to the plane uh, fully relaxed yeah so that may be one of the more recognizable things i know I've, I've seen that before yeah not that i knew where it was but yeah well there are actually three or four on well, probably 30 or 40, actually, all over the, the country. But this is the most famous one. And, and there are geysers galore. We, we took a little trip, a road trip, through the town of Geyser. And uh, as we were driving through on this little one-lane road, one of them actually erupted and gave us a free car wash. And I thought, wow, what great timing. Then I read that particular geyser erupts roughly every five minutes so the, the old faithful of iceland exactly yeah so it's it's really a cool place and it, it's not the first country i'd rec- recommend that the traveling go- golfer go to play golf but the well-seasoned traveler should not miss it what's the best time of year to go to, would you, uh, well you think? You know, summer is obviously the best when you can take advantage of the full um, daylight but i would say any any time of the golf season may to september is great comfortable Weather-wise, I mean... Yeah, it's comfortable. The only warning I would say is it's not inexpensive. Okay. The golf isn't bad, uh, but food is uh, crazy. It's re- and crazy both in terms of the cost and uh, the stuff they have you eat. I mean, I actually had horse bordelaise 
Yeah. One night. And I, I can and imagine. It's a little tough when you, you know, you're thinking of my friend Flicka as you tuck into your meat. But uh, <laughs> they have whale and puffin and shark and all sorts of stuff. Sheep's head is a delicacy there. Mm. So I would uh, I, be careful unless you have a pretty uh, broad uh, accepting palate. Just get them to tell you what you ate after you've already eaten <laughs> yeah, it. And go, then yeah. that's, you're good to go. They also don't have McDonald's on the entire country. That's, no beef. There are no cattle. There's McDonald's there. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Horses all over the place. And the horses are interesting too, because the horses were for first brought in by the Vikings uh, in like the 12th century. And they have never been inbred with any horses from Europe or anywhere else. So, so they're actually three quarters the size of a normal horse. And they're really cute. They've got these long manes and floppy manes and tails. They all look sort of like ponies. Okay. They're beautiful in there. And there are thousands of them all over the place. Wow. Well, that has been added to my list. I'd, I've wanted to go to Iceland for a while, just kind of like, oh, it'd be cool to get there someday. But certainly reading and, and hearing about your experience there makes it all the more enticing to go. And, and it's not that far away, nope. as you mentioned. Yep. Yeah. So you can read uh, George's pieces on our website at linksmagazine.com or pick up an issue uh, of the fall magazine. You'll see a ridiculous green on the front next to a an ocean with a cliff and I, I don't know how to describe it really it's just, it's just beautiful awesome yeah. yeah but go there check it out follow us on social media at Links Magazine on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram uh, and we will catch you next time thanks George thank you <laughs>